Well, in anticipation of the week of prayer that uh, churches of God in the northwest of England are going to um, be enjoying together uh, from the 8th of October until the 14th of October this year, uh, we're doing a, a series that explores from God's Word, the Bible, what prayer is all about. And where we've been already is uh, thinking that God brings us as those who believe in him and who he is and what he has done for us through Jesus the Saviour brings us into life and gives us life and brings us into an awareness that we're brought into a spiritual reality which is actually a, a spiritual battle which is unseen but yet is explained to us in the Bible. That's where we were a couple of weeks ago thinking about prayer as a people who are at war. Then last week we were thinking about being a people who are a praising people because we were saying that a posture of praise promotes a purity of purpose as we engage in powerful prayer so that as we have an awareness of who God is it then should shape what it is that we come to God with and actually the attitude with which we come to God and approach him and we're going to be thinking about how that links with today's subject which is being a confessing people. Uh, those people who, in light of the appreciation of who God is, then realize that in ourselves, even those of us who know that our sins are forgiven and we have eternal life in Christ Jesus for eternity, that we still sin and therefore still must come and ask God for forgiveness for the things that we would continue to do. Not because our eternal life with God is at risk but because our service for God is in jeopardy so praise of God for seeing who he is brings us then to a right attitude as we approach God in prayer and that then should result in prayers that are powerful because God as we'll see responds to those who come with right motive and purity of heart to do that which God has willed that he will do Last week, one of our texts from Psalm 67 said this. It was uh, the psalmist writing a song, said, I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. That's praise for God. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Cherished prayer there means... Uh, cherished iniquity there means looking at doing something which is contrary to what God wants for us and we come in prayer and still have in view that we're going to do things that are against God's will it's cherishing something that is yet to happen that's the sense of it and the writer of that song was saying I can't come to God with the intention that after I speak with him I'm just going to carry on with the same sin as I was before so he was saying high praise made him realize that and he had to address that and he finished up by saying God truly has listened. So he'd worked through that, I believe, with God and had confessed his sin and then he knew that God had listened to him and attended to the voice of his prayer. Attending means to pay attention and actually do something about it. It's not that God reacts to our every will, whim and every wish as if he's some cosmic Santa Claus. It's not that at all. 
It's that God is always doing what he is always doing in his sovereign control. And as people who will come and recognize that that is how God operates and that our sin actually prevents us enjoying the things of God in our lives, when we've come to realize that, that that is actually going against the things of God, then we're brought into a freedom where we will pray that God's will would be done in our lives and in the lives of other people. So we notice the link between praise and dealing with intentional or persistent sin. Now this week we're going to look at what actually is involved in being a confessing people. I've got four stopping points. Uh, first one is if God seems unavailable, it's probably because of unconfessed personal and corporate or collective sin in the life of an individual or in the life of a church. Second point is God saves us so that we might enjoy communion and fellowship with him and with others. An unconfessed sin destroys that joy. The third point we're getting to is that God's word reveals the sin that we must confess. And at the same time, God's word is that which assures us of God's forgiveness when we do confess. And finally, we'll think about how confessing sin brings power and prosperity in prayer. That's where we're going. Let's turn in the Bible to the book of 1 John. 1 John, if you go to the end of your Bible and start working from the back, uh, that's the quickest way to get to it. You go through Revelation, then Jude, then 3 John, 2 John, 1 John. 1 John, and we're going to take a reading from verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. What is confession? If we look at the Bible for an understanding of the Bible word in English that is confession, and we look at, say, what the Hebrew word for that means, and also the Greek word, it actually means to openly declare something that you've acknowledged. And actually, in some cases, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, that word is translated as praise, because it's the open declaration of something that you acknowledge. So it can be used in the, in the sense of you openly declare, as we were thinking last week, the praise of God that you understand. That's praise. But here is... It is in its uh, double sense of seeing something in us. You see how praise and confession must go together. Seeing something in us that we acknowledge and then openly declare to God. If God ever seems unavailable, it's probably because of unconfessed personal and corporate sin. We're all sinners. 
John, who was one of Jesus' closest friends when he was here, was writing this late in his life. And he was trying to address people who, maybe 50 years after Jesus had lived here and he died for sinners and he'd been buried and he was raised to life again to demonstrate that he was God who could defeat sin and death and then was taken back into heaven, the great saviour that God had provided. 50 years or so after that had happened, in the churches of God, there was teaching coming in that was saying that Jesus wasn't God. And actually these people who had this special knowledge about what God is were saying that they could live whatever life they liked because they weren't sinners. They claimed for themselves a righteousness which denied Jesus who was the one that God had provided to be the righteousness for believing sinners. So John was addressing that and he says, if you say you have no sin... You're deceiving yourself. And you're saying that God is a liar. Why is that? It's because God is so clear. Not just in his word that he's given to us. But in our very conscience. All of us. Even if we've never read the Bible. We know within our conscience. That we're not right. And there's something that's broken. And we're saying here then. That. John is addressing that teaching which is starting to come into the churches. Those people who had put their faith and their trust in the saviour that God had provided were now being taught something which wasn't the good news at all. And he was reminding them. Look, don't listen to the people who say you have no sin. You know you're a sinner. But praise God that through Jesus... Your sins are forgiven for eternity if you believe that Jesus died on the cross and suffered the wrath of God for your sins. He says, but don't then think that you've become perfect, that you just continue on and everything is all right. He says, you know that within yourself, there still is that old nature which still does things which are contrary to the things of God. It's not going to keep you from heaven and from eternity with God, but it is going to spoil your life which God would, would have you live for him, for his glory, and for the good of other people, and for the good of yourself. So to deny that we're sinners, we're deceiving ourselves, John is saying. And if we live life like that, just thinking that everything is all right, and we don't need, as those who have been born again, to come to God repeatedly and acknowledge the things in our lives that are, that are not right, it's going to prevent us living that life there's a barrier there if we feel that God is unavailable or far away it'll be because we're thinking we're alright and we're not acknowledging the sin that is there I was reading this week in the book of Lamentations which as its name means is, is a song of sadness by an Old Testament prophet Jeremiah who was lamenting over the things that were happening to Jerusalem and the people of Jerusalem because they'd repeatedly disregarded God's things God said you, you will suffer because of it and he's lamenting and he says in Lamentations 3.44 you have wrapped yourself God you have wrapped yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can pass through but before that it says that God had wrapped himself in anger why? Because his people 
continued to live as if sin meant nothing. That God's things meant nothing. That they could live in their own identity as being God's people. And that was all that was required. God had saved them that they would live his way. And that's what he wants for us too. That we be saved and brought into this eternal life which can never be taken from us. But that's just the beginning. It's so that then we would continue on and live for him. And live the life that he has promised. That we can live in his power and his strength as we would follow Jesus in our lives. So it's his response to our sin that can be that barrier or can cause in us that sense that God is unavailable. But we said that God saves us so that we might have the joy of communion. That's there in 1 John chapter 1. God saves us so that we might have the joy of communion and fellowship with him and with others. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. That's a little ambiguous that. It can mean that if we walk in the light as God is in the light, because God is light, no darkness in him. Walking with him, we have fellowship with him. Because we forsake the things of darkness, we enjoy life with him. But it could mean, and probably does alongside it, that we have fellowship with one another, with people. People who live that same way and who are prepared to acknowledge in the light of God's word which we're coming to the things in life that would prevent us entering into the power of prayer and into that life that God longs for us. Our communion with God as humanity was broken in the Garden of Eden. Way back at the beginning you turn to Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and everything was perfect and good that God had made. And humanity had a, an important position in God's purposes there. And they disobeyed God. And a brokenness came in between them and God, which they had enjoyed up until that point. And God has been working ever since. Not because that caught him by surprise, but he has been working ever since to declare his mercy and his, show his grace to us that he wants people to be restored from that brokenness into the fullness of a joyful experience and life with him. Yes, an individual with God having that joy. But people together having joy with one another because their joy is in the things of God. You know, if we're living a lie and we say we're living in this joy. And all the while we're denying that we have sin that must be addressed. We're deceiving ourselves. John was getting at it. From first John here. God is light. What does light do? It shows you what is the reality of something, doesn't it? You walk into a dark room you've never been in before. You have no clue what's there. You flick the switch, the light comes on and you can see it. For all its either grandeur or its hideousness, it's revealed. It's what light does. And John has said, God is light, and in him there is no darkness. If we say that we're living for God and we walk in darkness, we're deceiving ourselves. We're sinners. We're lying to ourselves. And God is saying, come and enjoy the light of my presence. And to enjoy that means you're going to have to address that in your life, which is contrary to my things. 
Back in John's Gospel, in John chapter 3, verse 19, it says that this is the judgment, that light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. That was a description of how God himself, in the person of Jesus Christ, who said, I am the light of the world, came here, and people scattered from him in the main because in comparison to his holiness his righteousness they were implicated as being guilty sinners and they scarpered I go to the Philippines and I don't like cockroaches and the Philippines has a lot of cockroaches and they lurk around in the dark and you put the light on they scatter we're like cockroaches hideous little things did I tell you the story, maybe I did, of trying to flush one down the toilet? Uh, they're determined little creatures as well. They can hang on to porcelain while you're f- repeatedly flushing it and still come out the top and go and then run away. I, that happened one night and then I called on Brian Johnson to deal with it finally because I, I don't like them. Um, but that's what it's like. Switch the light on and scatter. God has come here. And people scatter, but Jesus has come. He says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's what he's come for. That we wouldn't run, but that we would have our eyes open to see that's the life that God wants for me. You know, unconfessed sin not only affects our relationship with God, um, it also affects our relationship with one another, doesn't it? So as believers who have trusted in the saviour that God has provided to bring us into this life, then we must realise that sin continues on. And to address that means always having that more intimate relationship with God in conversation with him. That's what prayer is, individually. But it extends to the people of God too, because we gather to pray together, and the invitation is to come into his very presence. But that doesn't happen if there is sin in a congregation that means that relationships are not good or there is something in someone or some people that actually God says should not be present in a church of God sin destroys the joy of unity in fellowship with God and with each other Paul had to address it in his letter to the church of God in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 5 he says do you not know the little leaven a little bit of yeast in something. He says, leavens the whole lump, spreads through everything. He says, cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, which was the Passover, with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. He says, be true to yourselves, people, and enjoy the celebration of being God's people. And if there's something there that is sinful in a person that God says in his word should not be present in your life and should not be present in the church of God, then confess it. And that might mean for some an exclusion from the congregation of the people of God. But that's always with a purpose in view that the person would come to an understanding of what they have done before God affects their relationship with God and affects their relationship with each other, brings them to repentance breaks them down oh god i want to be with you and that person is lovingly restored to the fellowship of god's people because that's where the fellowship 
of God is enjoyed. Maybe that needs to happen for us to break free from living a lie. What do lies do? They trap you and they bind you up continually because one lie leads to another and living a lie is always trying to remember what you've said in the past. God says, leave it behind. Leave it behind. And what? Come to him for forgiveness. It's there in 1 John, in that section that we've read. The blood of Jesus, his son, is what stands for a believing sinner for eternity if we come with genuine repentance to him. Our third point was that God's word reveals sin that we must confess personally before God and maybe, as I've just indicated, corporately as well because we know that it affects the joyful fellowship of God's people. God's word reveals the sin we must confess and at the same time, this is the great thing of God's grace, assures us of this liberating forgiveness that God wants for us. I love the verse in Psalm 119, verse 130, where the psalmist is there just delighting in God's word and all that it means. He says, the unfolding of your word gives light. And this, the initial sense of that is it gives understanding about life. But you know, when you come to God's word and you unfold it with God's help, the light of God shines into the darkest recesses of who we are and exposes at the same time as it gives us understanding. It exposes and helps us to know what it is that we must do. Can I put this to you as well? If you're not reading your Bible, are you not reading your Bible because every time you do, you're implicated? Is that, is that a reason for not coming near to God's word? Is it like what is there for us in John 3, where it says light has come and people scattered because they preferred to hide their sin? God invites us to himself in Jesus. And then as those who are his forever, he says, don't go back into that life. Don't keep doing those things. Come, come, come. And read the word. Yes, at times it'll be hard. But if you acknowledge and openly declare, then forgiveness is there. So it exposes. And my challenge, maybe to some, is... If you're not reading your Bibles, is that what's at the foundation of that? That it's like those people who couldn't stand the righteousness of Jesus because they were implicated by his righteousness. Is when you read God's word, the reality that you're implicated by God's word and you prefer not to read it. If that was the end of it, and there was no hope for us in reading God's word, then don't read God's word. But at the same time as exposing sin in us, there is the assurance of that liberating forgiveness of God in Jesus Christ. Reading and meditating on the Bible is necessary for powerful prayer. We're about prayer here. It is because we see God for who he is. We see who we are for who we really are. And then we're brought into a liberation if we will avail ourselves of the promise of God that's made here. If we confess our sins, verse 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins 
and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's not a sinner who doesn't know God coming to the point of salvation. That's a believer in God realizing that their sin is preventing them and destroying their their joy of fellowship with God and with one another. And they're saying, I want to be cleansed of it. And it goes back to the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. In corporate prayer, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16 says, Let us with confidence uh, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The verses before that are very instructive though. That's an end point in what the writer of Hebrews was saying. Because you go back up to verses 12 and 13 before it. And there the writer as inspired by God, says that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's piercing to the division of soul and spirit. We can't tell the difference between the spirit and the soul. And discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him, to to him to whom we must give account. The word of God is that which comes and is a living and active force of God in our lives. And where does it go with the end point? Let us with confidence come to the throne of grace. Do you see the process? It's there. Let's not live the lie, but see God's word for what it really is. Read it. And when it exposes, then confess sin and forgiveness is granted according. To God's faithful promise. That's why the word of God is so wonderful. Because it gives us life. And it sustains our lives. It says there that we're going to have to give an account. To him with whom we have to do. I'm actually wrong in what I've just said. I don't think it's just speaking about something in the future. I think it's a daily thing. I've heard it in the past. Generations people have said keep short accounts with God. And you do that by every day being in his word. And that flowing into prayer. As you would confess those things in life. That really are a struggle. That you know you can't let go of. And still there's a part of you that still wants to hold on to. And you find within 20 minutes of having been done with that. You've just done it again. And you keep coming back. Keep coming back. God is gracious. Keep short accounts with God. We don't have time to to look at these. But there are great prayers in scripture of corporate confession. We have to deal with both of these because they're they're there in scripture. The individual's relationship with God and sin destroying that. But also in a corporate collective sense. Sin that is present destroying the fellowship of the people of God. And the joy that's associated with that. You go to Daniel chapter 9. If anybody's taken notes. Daniel chapter 9 verses 3 through to 19. Daniel had read in God's word what God was doing and his timing and his plan for Um, The people who were captives in Babylon. And he said. I prayed to the Lord my God. And said. We have sinned. Daniel hadn't been part of the sin of his forefathers. But he saw himself as part of this people for God. And he said we have sinned. We have done wrong. We have acted wickedly. We have rebelled. We have turned aside from your commandments. And we have not listened to your prophets. Six things. That describe a life that's in rebellion to God. Go and take a little look through that yourselves. And see how he is 
not immune to this himself. But seeing the sin, he sees his part in it too. And together with the people of God, he prays a prayer of confession. We see it also in Ezra. In Ezra chapter 9. In Ezra chapter 9, the, the people of God have been released from the captivity. The captivity of Babylon. They've come back and they're in the process of rebuilding the temple. And so on. And the people that have come back have fallen into practices which they shouldn't have. And Ezra is one of the priests. But he's not culpable for any of this himself in his own life. But he stands there with the congregation who realise in the light of God's word where they've gone wrong. He says this, Behold, we are before you in our guilt. For none can stand before you because of this. Ezra wasn't guilty. But he saw himself as with the people of God, implicated in the guilt. Finally, confession of sin brings power and prosperity in prayer. Proverbs 28 verse 13 says this, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. And you see parallelisms in uh, Proverbs and in the Psalms. So when the writer there says, um, whoever conceives his transgressions will not prosper, and then you have the, the mirror alongside that, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Prospering is to do with obtaining mercy. And what does Hebrews 4 Verse 16, tell us, we come to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy. That's prospering. Because God is giving us what we don't deserve. And not giving to us what we do deserve. God is merciful to us. So prospering is obtaining God's mercy and knowing that. But notice that the writer of Proverbs says it's the confession of sin and the forsaking of it. So it's moving on. 1 John 1, as we've read, verses 7 and 9. God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He'll do it. He will do it. And mercy comes to us every day. In Psalm 32, David was writing a song that flowed out of his, one of his greatest sins. You go to Psalm 51 and you read about him right in the middle of having been caught out in his sin. And his heart is broken before God. And Psalm 32, I believe, flows out of that later. And he knows the forgiveness of God as he's repented in Psalm 51. He then comes with praise in Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Jesus is the one who died. That our sins might be covered and sins might be forgiven. He said in verse 5 of Psalm 32, I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. That's a hard, hard attitude that comes to us as we're in God's word. So what about this power and prosperity in prayer? Would you turn with me to James chapter 5? James chapter 5, and this was the Lord's half-brother writing one of the earliest dated letters of the New Testament to uh, believers who were gathered together in churches of God. So this is within probably 15 years of the Lord's life here on earth. And he, he's coming to, to help them with practical instruction as to how they are to live as believers. I want us to read from verse 13 and see the, how prayer 
is associated with sin. You don't like to put the two together. But, but what he says then towards the end about the power of prayer. Read with me. James chapter 5 verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again. And heaven gave rain. And the earth bore its fruit. My brothers... If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is written to believers. You see, prayer is central, but the confession of sin is central there too. Confessing sins to one another, oh, don't want to go there. But it's there in scripture. There are times that it's appropriate for us to confess, maybe to a confidant. Somebody that we trust who can pray with us and for us. Something that we're grappling with in life. There it is. You notice in verse 16. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. We were thinking in our first week on this. That when Daniel started to pray. God had already started to send his message by the angel. And it took a full three weeks for him to arrive through the heavenly battle in the spiritual realm that was going on. Here is the prayer that is working from the moment it starts. But what are the conditions? It's a righteous person. Has great power, not him or her, but the prayer has great power as it is working. But the condition is a righteousness which is not our own. It's the righteousness of Christ that comes to us. So prayer requires us to be a people aware of the battle and to be continually reliant on God and to come to him aware of who he is and to praise his name and as we do that it exposes who we are and we come in the confidence of God's word and say God I want the forgiveness of sins for this Jesus has died for this free me from this lie let me live for you in summary we're to be confessing people when we approach God, why? Because God can often seem unavailable if we're holding on to sin. He says, let it go. God saved us for communion and fellowship with himself and with one another. And unconfessed sin that we hold on to destroys that. Let it go. As we read the word of God, our sins are exposed. And he says to us, let it go. And confessing sin results in a righteousness that brings power and prosperity in prayer. It's a promise of God. So let it go. And let's go after him. Let's pray.